What's up, sons and daughters? It is Sam Jesse, and I am back with the full crew from the Locks of Saturday. Brett, Robert, Chris, and Ed, who is back from his honeymoon. Ed, congratulations. We haven't told you face to face yet, but congratulations. Thank you. It was very enjoyable 10 days. Uh, Montana's pretty cool. I highly suggest everybody going out there at some point in their life. It looked awesome. What was your favorite thing you did out there? Um, probably fly fishing or Yellowstone park. Yellowstone park is so cool. You see, yeah. you can see all kinds of stuff. We were in the park for five minutes and we saw like eight different elk just hanging out. Like it's just so different. Yeah. I need to make it out there. Um, uh, I need to make it back out West. It's so cool up there. Well, something else that's really cool fellas is week one of college football is finally here. We got a little taste of it last week, but let's be honest. It wasn't quite up to snuff. We are finally here at week one. Congratulations, everyone, for making it through the longest offseason in sports. Great job. Great job, everybody. And we're going to go ahead and get started. But before we get started, we just want to talk to you about our good partners at the DraftKings Sportsbook, because the wait is almost over. We are days away from a new football season, and you can get ready for NFL week one action coming up here in a couple of weeks with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL to celebrate the return of football. DraftKings is giving new customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action for opening night? Everyone can expect a thrill. DraftKings early win promotion. Get up seven, you win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice, and if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses, especially Washington. Yeah, we do have a lot of Washington fans. Pay attention to that. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code SOS to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code SOS, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner at the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Virginia only. Bonus issued as free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in. Money line bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility in terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call the Virginia Problem Gambling Helpline at 888-532-3500. Yeah, just an awesome, awesome promo that they have to start the season. There are some new states that are getting the DraftKings Sportsbook. If we have any Kansas listeners, congratulations, Kansas. Next week, sports betting will be legal in the great state of Kansas, the Sunflower State. Fun fact. All right, well, guys, we got a lot to talk about tonight. We have five games to pick. We have some special picks at the end of new segments that we're going to bring towards the end of the podcast. And, of course, we'll be talking about the Hokies opening up here in Norfolk Friday night against the Old Dominion Monarchs. But let's get started with a really interesting non-conference game, one that we have had circled for quite a while. UNC is traveling to Boone, North Carolina, to play the Appalachian State Mountaineers. North Carolina is only favored by one point. The over-under is set at 56, and it will be televised on ESPNU at 12 p.m. Robert, kick us off. Well, with this one-point line, I mean, you're essentially just looking at a pick em here. Um, and honestly, I firmly believe that Appalachian State, if they're not the best football team in the state of North Carolina right now, they're the second best. Uh, you know, NC State, it's debatable. But I do believe that top to bottom, 
Appalachian State right now, as they are constructed, is a better football team than UNC. I think UNC is going to have a lot of growing pains. Um, I mean, what they did last week with Florida A&M looked pretty rough at times, especially defensively against a team that was, you know, quite literally decimated, barely even had enough players to put on the field. Um, and UNC's defense still just looked terrible. The play that I really love here is the over for sure. Um, I don't think there's going to be very much defense played in this game. And that 56, I feel like that's a pretty, pretty reachable number. Um, but I am going to go with App State to cover here. I think they went outright. I think your your better play is to go ahead and take them minus 105 in the money line as opposed to minus 110 in the uh, in the spread. But regardless, I think Appalachian State is to play here. They're going to get the win at home. They're the better team. Book it. Now, Robert, real quick before we get to Brett, as someone from Southwest Virginia yourself, can you correctly uh, pronounce the name of the school and then the name of the mountain range and the region? Please educate everyone. Uh, yes, it's Appalachian State. It is in the Appalachian Mountains in Appalachia. If you Thank pronounce you. That's, that's soft C-H, you're, you're incorrect. Please never speak to me. Thank you. Thank you for that. That very valuable uh, cultural lesson there, Robert. Brett, you're up. Yeah, I'm going to be in step with Robert here. I think Appalachian State gets it done at home, uh, walking into Boone. Even though it's not a night game, it's a, it's a nooner. You, you don't think those students and those fans are going to be ready at noon to have UNC come to town, just like they had Miami come to town last year. And they should have won the game. They had the ball two minutes left and somehow couldn't do anything with it. So last year, one of my locks of I had a very, one of my mortal locks last year was App State covering eight and a half versus Miami. And this is one of my mortal locks this year is App State at home winning outright in this game. Uh, Drake May last week actually impressed me. I will say that uh, he looked really good, calm, collected, very like Sam Howell vibes, especially when he was young. But uh, that defense was Charmin ultra soft. And I think Appalachian uh, State is just going to run right through them. So I like Appalachian State at home. I think if this was at UNC, I think it would be honestly it'd be a little tougher for me to pick. But being at home at Appalachian State, I think it's pretty fair to say that they're going to get it done. Yeah, I also have App State, but I feel like it's kind of a trap after watching UNC last week and you know how terrible that defense looked against a you know half a football team um, at a level of football that they shouldn't have even it shouldn't have even been close at all. And at times it was way too close. Uh, it's really hard to pick against Carolina because I just feel like this is a trap. I mean, App State's really good. Their defense is really good. They return a solid amount of talent on both sides of the ball. But North Carolina is obviously significantly more talented, uh, has recruited extremely well. Drake May did look pretty good. Um, they've got a bunch of young guys, but they were still able to put up a lot of points. Uh, it's just that UNC defense, watching that last week and the amount of total offense they gave up to just a completely inferior team, it's hard to pick against App State at home and what is a huge game for, I'm sure, those fans in that region. So I'm going to go with App State hesitantly. Um, I, I do think they pull it out in the end, and I agree with Irby on the money line. I like that better, obviously, than the minus one or uh, plus one. But, yeah, I'm going to go with App State, but I'm treading lightly here. Reed, if, if you're betting on it, definitely go money line. Don't, don't bother with a plus one. I agree, Robert. I like the over as well. Something about App State that's really impressive is their running back talent. They have two running backs, Nate Noel and Cameron Peoples, 
who could probably play at any Power 5 program in the country. They're very, very talented. They're returning four of their five starting offensive linemen from last year. And then this UNC defense did not look good against Florida A&M. The Rattlers could move the ball on them. Uh, quarterback Jeremy Musa for the Rattlers had 279 passing yards in that game. Uh, I really I understand that UNC has a lot of talent, especially in the defensive backfield. But up front, they haven't been good. Last year, 97th in the country in EPA per rush. Not a good sign when you're going to play a team with not one, but two really good running backs. I like the Mountaineers in this one. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a really fun game. I could even see like a funky two or three overtime game in this one, but I like App State. So let me get this straight. You guys are all on App State. I see heads nodding in every single window. I yep. love my UNC pick now. Thank you so much for the entire locks consensus on App State. Listen, I brought this up, and I think a few of you were on it earlier as well. We all identified App State as an early season upset pick. It just made a lot of sense. And the line, I think at the time, was straight up. App State was probably shooting off around plus 300, plus 330. And that now is gone way, way down. So what does that tell you? The entire public, the nation is on App State. This is almost too much of an overhyped game in terms of UNC didn't look good last week, so therefore they're going to be terrible on the road in a hostile supposed environment in App State on a new kickoff in Boone. I'm not buying it. I think this is going to be an offensive game. I definitely think in an offensive game and a head-to-head matchup between these teams, UNC should be favored that favor going down to minus one. I feel like I'm getting free points on what was, I think, originally, and someone could correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was UNC minus three, uh, maybe two and a half minus three is where this line started. So it, it's been bet pretty big on App State for the last few weeks. Um, it, it, if there's one thing I've learned in betting, it's fade the public, um, especially on a, a, a consensus pick like this. And uh, to be honest, I think we're looking at the wrong week for a potential UNC upset. That's going to come next week against Georgia State because for some reason, UNC didn't schedule one road Sunbelt leadoff game. They scheduled back-to-back road Sunbelt leadoff games. And the next one is actually before they play Notre Dame. So I think that's the game that they look ahead in their schedule and they get a little full themselves after they win kind of back-to-back games against FAMU and App State. So I would be more willing to look at next week for a possible upset, but not this one. Uh, give me the uh, UNC minus one line. I feel like I'm getting free points there a little bit in the value. Plus, App State now is at minus 105. That was at about plus 150-ish, I think, earlier on the margin. So there's just too much action on it. It scared me off. So I was originally leaning for it. I will be rooting for App State because nothing brings me more joy and pleasure than a UNC upset, especially in their 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 own state against a quote-unquote inferior competition. But I, I can't, in all honesty, ignore the value here. So I'm, I'm picking the Tar Heels. Interesting about this is I agree with how the public has really liked App State, but on Action Network, it right now says that 60% of bets are on UNC. Now I'm wondering, I, I don't know when those bets came in, but could be interesting if you see all these bets going, oh my gosh, you know, UNC is only a point favorite. I'm basically getting UNC as a pick them here. Could have seen a lot of bets recently come in for yeah. UNC there. Big. It's usually the volume of the size of the bet that moves the lines, not the total amount. So to me, that means there's possibly a lot of sharps, which kind of leads you to believe that App State might be kind of the, you know, 
lesser volume, but in terms of like an individual bet basis, but the larger bets are coming in on I've stayed, which also is still to me another reason to shy away. So good old emotional, good old, the good old emotional hedge. <laughs> I don't feel good about picking Mac Brown on a road in a hostile environment. Don't, don't get me wrong. No, uh, no. It, I'm yeah, saying, I was going to say you sold your soul, man. I'm, no, I'm <laughs> going to say like, you won't be mad if Appalachian State wins, but it's you'll... it's September. He's not wearing the puffy coat yet. So when it's puffy coat weather and he's out there, then I'll start betting against him. But Mac Brown in temperate weather, he might be wearing maybe a, like a polo shirt, maybe some sort of collar. I have no idea, but um, he, he's not in puffy coat miserable kind of like the hefty bag looking weather attire yet so that's when you pick against mac brown i was gonna say he doesn't look like a trash bag (laughs) he doesn't look like a glow-in-the-dark trash bag no um although if i remember a week one against tech he was wearing kind of a puffy quarter zip type uh shirt but don't make fun of mac brown he's he's a he's a great guy he's a great guy if he was at any other school we'd love So we're going to move on to what I think, speaking of coaches, maybe one of the most interesting coaching matchups, Oregon plus 17 against defending national champions, Georgia. This game is being played in Atlanta. So it's basically a home game for Georgia. Uh, Well, more than basically, they'll probably have 90% of the fans there. Really, really interesting matchup over under a set at 52 and a half game will be on ABC at three 30. Robert, do the defending national champions keep it rolling? You know, this was probably the toughest one for me to pick because 17 is such a huge line. And I know there's there's a small faction out there of folks that really like this Oregon team. I'm not one of them personally. Uh, but what I do like is Dan Lanning, the new head coach of Oregon, having been the defensive coordinator of that national champion Georgia team last year. It, there's a thought here that, you know, maybe he knows how to slow down the Georgia offense and, you know, maybe so, even some of their secrets defensively and Georgia's replacing a lot of production and that all makes sense, but I just can't quite get myself there. I think that Oregon will keep it close for a half, maybe even three quarters, but I think that the talent disparity is just too huge um, and granted, I am not someone who's saying that Georgia is going to you know, run the table again and be back in the playoff. I don't expect them to be back in the playoff. However, I think this is a good matchup for them. Um, I just don't think Oregon has the horses, um, you know, replacing some production on offense, specifically at running back, lost their top two running backs. I just don't see it. Um, I think Georgia pulls away late and wins this one by about three touchdowns. Yeah, I was back and forth on this one as well. But I think, I mean, it's like you said, it's easy to sit, think that Dan Lanning, you know, being a former Georgia coach, he might have a few, you know, tricks up his sleeve, knowing what's going on with the team and whatnot. But this is my thing. Last year, even though Cristobal was there last year, I still think Oregon has the athletes to compete with teams like this. And especially under Dan Lanning, I think they can compete with Georgia, especially a team that's replacing a lot on defense. Um, I think 17 points is a lot, even though it is kind of like a home game in Athens. But I still think that uh, 17 points is a lot to give up to a Georgia team that's replacing a lot, and it's in week one. I think if you play this game week three or four, or week even maybe even week two, I think you might I might would take Georgia here. But in week one, I think I'm going to take the points with Oregon uh, just because I think they do have the athletes to compete. 
and to be able to hang with Georgia for most of the game. And I think like it could be, you know, it could be three scores, like you said, 21, but I think it is going to be close. But I uh, I think I'm going with, I'm still going with Oregon at plus 17. Yeah, this one was surprisingly easy for me. I, I was all over Oregon as soon as I started to look into this one. Um, there's just too many points for teams, a team like Oregon that, you know, they don't recruit as well as Georgia does, but they, they recruit pretty well. They've got really good athletes um, in that locker room. Uh, I think Oregon probably has the edge, maybe even in both trenches, but certainly on the offensive line. Oregon's got a ridiculously good offensive line, um, which is something that Bo Nix has really never had. So we'll see what Bo Nix, I'm assuming, is going to be the quarterback. I think that's what Kirby Smart is assuming as well. Um, some you know, he was quoted as saying, I'm not worried about who the quarterback is. I, I know who it's going to be. I think he's pretty confident that it's going to be Bo Nix in a week one matchup in an environment like that against a Georgia team that Bo Nix has played before and a style of football that Bo Nix has played his entire career. It'd be kind of kind of ridiculous for Ty Thompson to be the quarterback in this one. I mean, at some point in the year, I'm sure Thompson will take over that job. But a week one, I, I would expect it to be Bo Nix. Uh, which actually could be a good thing for Oregon, considering Nix's experience playing SEC football and playing Georgia in particular. So I think the better offensive line combined with Bo Nix's familiarity with that style of football, Oregon will be able to cover the 17. Yeah, guys, this one, I, I almost agree perfectly with that. I think Oregon's going to surprise Georgia with how talented they are, not only on the offensive line, but the defensive front seven. Uh, Noah Sewell, uh, younger brother of, Panay Sewell, uh, current Lions offensive lineman, he and Justin Flo might be the best linebacker duo in the country. And I think that's going to surprise Georgia a lot. And I think this Oregon team has a little bit something to prove because they were a really good team last year, but they struggled against a more physical, bigger, stronger Utah team. They got crushed twice. I think there is a little bit of chip on their shoulder, a little bit extra, not that you should need more if you're playing the defending national champs, but there's a little bit something extra there where they feel like they're going to need to prove something. I don't think they come out here with a win, but 17 points is way too much. I like the Ducks here. I think they're going to keep it pretty close for a bit. Georgia might pull away, but I don't think they pull away quite to three touchdowns. And uh, another thing that I wanted to talk about is I, I understand Georgia recruits the best of anybody the past five years, four or five years, but they only returned three starters on defense. That's a lot of inexperience going up against a really fast, really talented offense. And I know Oregon isn't the uh, Chip Kelly offense with Dennis Dixon or you know any of those guys, but still really, really talented. will be interesting to see how they adapt, how quickly they can adapt to the speed of the game there. And another question I had for this game is, you can usually assume a two to three point boost for a team playing at home. Whether that's right or wrong, that's kind of what you can assume from sports books. Chris, question to you. Do you think you're getting that here with Georgia playing on a neutral site? Do you think it's counting in that they're basically going to have the home field advantage in this game, even though it's being played on a quote neutral site? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good lead in here. And, and to be honest, I feel like I am getting that baked in this line. It doesn't feel like plus 17 is not accounting for the fact that this game is being played in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I, I originally looked at it and the line is too high. And then Sam, you hit the nail on the head. I was like, oh, that's because they're they're factoring in an extra three just for Georgia basically playing, you know, uh, a, a, what, 
two hour ish trip away from their own homes. So it's, it's their backyard. Um, so I don't know if you have anything else to more to put on that, but uh, I just for me, this line came down to kind of two factors. One, Bo Nix. Um, Ed kind of alluded to it. And yes, he has SEC experience, but the extent of Bo Nix's experience is basically to win awkward games against Alabama and in a night home environment in Auburn. Uh, like his combined record versus Georgia. And uh, I feel like he was a starting quarterback at Auburn for about 15 seasons, but it turns out he only played Georgia three times. Um, he was 0-3 as a starter against Georgia. Um, and that's over the course of the three years, not just last year when Georgia had the elite defense, the losing margin in those three games was 72 to 128. So that gives you a losing margin of an average of over 18 points per game, um, which if I looked at and I checked my math, right, 18 is higher than 17. So that means that Georgia in, is, is kind of Achilles heel for Bo Nix in terms of, you know, him just automatically covering uh, on, Oregon a plus 17 margin on the road and I guess you can probably like you know go tit for tat in terms of like is the talent level at Oregon the same as the talent level at Auburn I'm just going to go ahead and say that let's go ahead and call it somewhat even ish because Auburn doesn't necessarily recruit at a subpar level they recruit pretty much top 15 type level um and let's be honest you know Oregon just went through a entire staff change so you know they don't necessarily have you know the continuity that you probably need when you are going on the road and playing the defending national champions, which, I mean, everyone's been alluding to the fact that they lost a lot of starters, but let's, let's be honest, Georgia's too deep is full of five stars. So I'm not necessarily going to say that, you know, them losing all of the talent, especially on the defensive side, it's going to be a net negative for them. Um, and then just, you know, Irby alluded to it, the whole, the whole narrative around Dan Landing, you know, now being the head coach at Oregon gives them an advantage and some may or may not disagree with that. I'm just saying that, um, you know, Kirby Smart is the defensive engine of Georgia. You know, he's a defensive guy. Uh, he was brought in there he, he, he to basically overhaul and restructure the entire, not just Georgia schematic side of the, uh, of the ball there for a defense, but also to overhaul the, the recruiting approach for the defensive side of the football there as well. And they've done all of that since he's arrived. And, um, you know, the, the defensive coordinator this year is Will Muschamp. You know, he's been around the block. He knows how to coach defense in the SEC. Um, he's had a lot of continuity because he was brought in there as kind of one of those quote-unquote special assistants in the, uh, on, on the defensive side. He actually coached the coaches, so he probably provided some input to Dan Landing last year. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not necessarily going to think that that's a significant advantage going into this game. So it is a lot of points, um, but at the end of the day, this isn't Bo Nix's strong suit. It's still an incredible amount of talent on the Georgia side of the ball. Um, I, I'm not a big Stetson Bennett believer in year two, but it's probably going to be good enough. And to be honest, the elite, they, they have great linebackers, but the elite pass rush guys, you know, I'm kind of a West Coast monitor kind of guy when it comes to USC. I knew what Justin Flo's recruitment meant to go to Oregon instead of USC at the time. Uh, but the edge rushing capability of Oregon has gone down pretty significantly. So unless they can really find a way to get those linebackers through the line of scrimmage, which Georgia has a pretty good offensive line and they have kind of matchup for matchup, the advantage on the offensive line and the defensive line. I just think that this is going to be one of those moments where 
going into the second half, it's kind of close. And then Georgia pulls away late as most uh, overwhelmed on the road against an SEC formidable opponent games usually go in, in, in the beginning part of the year. So uh, I am I am swallowing the points. I'm taking Georgia minus 17. I'm not confident, but we'll see. Certainly would be a fun game to watch. Uh, again, that one, 3.30, so don't miss it. It's not the primetime game. That's the 3.30 game. One that will be the primetime game. Notre Dame, plus 17 at Ohio State. New Notre Dame coach Marcus Freeman taking over for Brian Kelly. Definitely some big shoes to fill, but this is a really, really tough first game. The over-under is set at 59 and a half. This game, again, primetime ABC at 7. 30. Robert, do the Irish have enough to go in there and make a game of this against a team that people are pretty much sharpying into the college football playoff? I think the tough thing for me is the timing of this game. And the fact that this is Marcus Freeman, I guess he, he technically coached in the bowl game last year, but this is his first, I guess, regular season game. And for it to be this emotional game against the school he played for in Columbus like if this was in South Bend in like November, I'd feel differently about it. But this is first game of the year in the horseshoe. Ohio State is a very, very good football team. Um, and I see this as a statement game for Ohio State. I think I think they're going to put rubber to the road. Um, and I think that this onslaught of offensive weapons that they have is just going to be on display. I just expect this to be pretty ugly. I won't say like anything you know it's not gonna be like a 35 point game but i could definitely see ohio state winning this by three or four touchdowns in this game being over probably by halftime yeah i'm actually on notre dame here just because i think that their def this will actually I, I firmly believe this will be the best defense ohio state probably faces all year um and it's a game one so i think i'm on notre dame here just because i think marcus freeman is a heck of a coach just from a defensive coordinator coordinator standpoint and I think they're going to be an extremely disciplined game even in the shoe um I think this is actually going to be a Notre Dame's going to surprise some people this year I think they're thinking about a new coach with Brian Kelly leaving personally I think Brian Kelly leaving was the best thing for Notre Dame I think Marcus Freeman is going to take them to another level and I think people are honestly sleeping on Notre Dame this year they're not the team of Notre Dame of those years with Brian Kelly where they get blown out in big games I just don't think they're that team anymore I really think that they've Find, finally found their footing, especially – and I think Brian Kelly left Marcus Freeman in a good spot for him to just build upon, even – and I think to build even farther. So I don't think Notre Dame's going to win this game. I don't. I mean, I think I have projecting Ohio State probably to win the national championship this year, but I think people are just sleeping on Notre Dame a little bit this year. I still think they actually have a chance to make the playoff, especially if they keep this game close. So I like Notre Dame here with the points. Um even though the quarterback situation is a little bit sketchy, I think their defense, if they can hold, uh, they can eat clock and hold Ohio State's offense to like 35. I think that they can, I think they are capable of being able to score enough to be able to cover that spread. Brett, how dirty do you feel taking Notre Dame there? Just be honest. I actually don't feel that dirty because I mean, <laughs> I, I've, I've kind of gotten over the, I think I hated Brian Kelly more than I hated Notre Dame. I think that's kind yeah. of what. I think that's where I came down to it because I think that, and I really like Marcus Freeman. So I think Notre Dame, they used to be just so overrated every year, but I think the last few years and now with Marcus Freeman, I think they're going to be a scary team for the next decade. There you go. You heard it here first folks. Yeah, I, I disagree. 
I think Ohio State might be the most talented team in the country this year. That includes Alabama. I think that the talent level on both those teams is ne- is neck and neck. And honestly, it's probably the two best quarterbacks in the country too, with C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young in Alabama. Um, I'm I'm rolling with Ohio State here. I think it's like Irby said. It's just a lot. It's a lot for Notre Dame to handle in Week One uh, with a new coach and a new quarterback. Um, you know, Brett, you said, you know, if their defense can slow down Ohio State and only hold them to 35, I mean, good luck after watching what that offense was able to do last year with Stroud and all those receivers. Um, and, and not even – I haven't even talked about Travion Henderson and how good he is. I think they have three guys on the Heisman watch list preseason, a quarterback, a running back, and a wide receiver. That Ohio State offense is pretty ridiculous. Um, I don't think they're going to hit the over themselves, but they might get really close. Um I love that Ohio State offense. I think Stroud is definitely a Heisman front runner. I think Ohio State's definitely right there in the national title conversation come year's end. And uh, Columbus night game, new head coach. I think it might be too much for Notre Dame to handle. And Ohio State wins by 20 or 21 or 24 or something like that. So I'm going with the Buckeyes. So put into perspective how big of a 17-point spread is, even for a game at Ohio State. When Virginia Tech upset Ohio State in the horseshoe in 2014. The spread was 12. And that was not a top five Virginia Tech team. So that's how big of a spread 17 is. Four times in modern college football history has there been a top five matchup to open the year with a 17 point or more spread. Each of those four times, the underdog covered. I got to go Notre Dame in this one. I think 17 is too many points. What that tells me is sports books are trying to capitalize on the, oh my gosh, Ohio State's the best team ever. Ohio State's going to score 60 points a game. They might score 60 points, but they still have question marks defensively. I, I understand they're going to score a lot of points and we don't have a lot of faith in Notre Dame's offense, but if Notre Dame can run the ball, control the clock a little bit, keep it a little bit lower scoring, keep Notre Dame, Keep Ohio State in the low 30s, mid 30s. They can cover 17 points here. I'm going with the Irish. I, I don't like it. I really don't like it. You asked first, you asked Brett if he feels dirty. I, I feel dirty. This I don't like rooting for Notre Dame. I really don't like Notre Dame, but I'm going with the Irish here. Bet, lot of, bet lot, the numbers, not of, the teams. Bet the numbers, not the teams. There you go. Um, I was on the same mindset. And uh, I, I actually just reverted back to everything that Ed alluded to. Um, and yes, uh, it, this is not only the fact that they have elite talent at the three primary offensive positions, but they have a great line as well. And I think that really negates the number one defensive capability of Notre Dame, which is their edge rushing capability. Um, Notre Dame, you know, they have some continuity, but this is this is this is game one coming out of the gates at Ohio State at night. We've already alluded to the fact that that's a difficult task. My one caution was the fact that Ohio State traditionally usually has a lot of blue chip like top number, uh, probably first round or second round talent on the defensive side of the football. Uh, they don't necessarily have that for this uh, game, at least early on. We haven't identified them yet, um, but I do feel like the overhaul in the defensive staff. Uh, can kind of help develop some of those people to not necessarily be household names to household names to start the season, but they might be at the end of the season. So um, I, I'm not necessarily saying that it, it, it's it's a significant factor in this game, but 
by the end of the season, I feel like we're going to know some more Ohio State defensive players. But the final factor for me was the fact that Ohio State got embarrassed by Oregon last year, and Ryan Day does not want that to happen again. So now he has the entire kind of elite level of his talent group coming back in year two, and they're all proven. We've alluded to the fact that they're not just dark horse Heisman candidates. They're all significant Heisman candidates. I just feel like they're just going to put the pedal to the metal in this game, you know, all gas, no breaks. And the goal is to embarrass Notre Dame to get into that pole position in the college football playoff. Like I know it comes out later on the season, but they want to leave no doubt to start off the season with this, I would say, uh, significant week one matchup against Notre Dame at home. So I, I feel like Notre Dame is probably walking into something right now that they don't necessarily have let's say a true respect for, for how mad Ohio state was for blowing that Oregon game last year. That's to me was the difference maker in this one. So I'm taking, uh, excuse me, I'm swallowing the 17 points. That's very difficult to do. I also feel dirty about picking not just against Notre Dame, but also on Ohio state. Cause I hate both these teams, but you, the lesser of two evils to me is the, is the team that we play less and we've already beaten in the last 10 years. So Give me the Buckeyes. Give me the 17 points. I don't like it, but to me, it's the value given the talent on the one side versus the lack of, not lack of talent, but let's just say lack of elite top end NFL first round talent uh, on the opposite side. I think we can all nod our head in agreement that Ohio State has significantly more, especially on one side of the ball, than Notre Dame does. All right, let's move into one of the marquee matchups of the week in terms of Really, really freaking interesting non-conference game. Utah, my beloved Utah Utes, minus three going to the swamp to play Florida in what is an absolutely juicy, juicy non-conference matchup to start the season. The over-under for this game is set 51. It will be on ESPN at 7 o'clock. Robert, nighttime in the swamp, top 10 team coming to town. It doesn't get better than that in college football. Yeah, no idea how uh, this game got scheduled, but I'm all about it. This is awesome. Um, a lot of Pac-12 versus SEC going on. I'm all about it. Um, that said, I actually am going to lean with the Pac-12 team this time. Um, I mean, Utah is getting a lot, a lot of buzz, and for good reason. Like They were a really good team last year, and they're bringing almost everybody back. And, I mean, for them to be, you know, a lot of people's playoff pick, Sam included. And for them to fall flat on their face in week one, there's no way that I just don't see that happening. I could see that happening to certain teams, but a team that's as well coached as Utah is, I don't see that happening. And I think, honestly, I think this says more about Florida because I think that Florida is a mess. And I think it will take time for Billy Napier to write this ship if he even can, you know, we'll see vibes are not great in Gainesville right now. Um, I mean, this is a team that was again, terrible last year. Their defense was abysmal um, offense, losing some production as well. You know, Damian Pierce is gone. Great running back. Uh, the darling of fantasy football season currently. Um, and Anthony Richardson, I think is a supremely talented quarterback. However, he's still very young and very raw, and I just don't – this is another one of those games where it's just very unfortunate to be week one if you're Florida because they are not ready. They are not ready to take on a team like this. 
uh, game one. It's just not happening. And the fact that Utah is only getting three points here, I think Utah wins this one by two touchdowns at least. This is my lock. Yeah, I'll just go ahead and just say it out loud too. This is my lock of the week as well. I'm pretty much going to echo everything Irby said. Uh, Billy Napier, you know, people thought he was he was on the short list for the Virginia Tech job. And my God, I'm so glad we did not get him because it is, a, I mean, it, it, he's had a pretty bad start down there at Florida. I mean, it's almost like maybe not as bad as Mike Norgo at Florida State, but it's it's not good. Let's just put it that way. Uh, and Anthony Richardson, people are like t- hyping him up, talking about him. I mean, I think he's better than Emory Jones, but people said the same thing about Emory Jones when he was starting. So it's like, Anthony Richardson kind of to me (laughs) might be a better passer, but he kind of reminds me of the same player. So I'm not really sold on him either. Uh, I mean, top five defense last year for Utah holding most of these Pac-12 teams under 20 something points. And I think this is just a bad game for Ford to start with, even at home. I think that Ford fans know that this, they're probably looking at this as like, Oh crap. Like this was not a good idea uh, to do this. So yeah, I'm on the Utes big time here. Uh, I just think that it's there's going to keep doing what they did last year. Cameron Rising, I mean, he's going to be – I mean, he was a uh, stud last year. So, I'm all over on the Utes here. I am on Florida on this one. Um, I'm going to go with the SEC team in the swamp at night. Pac-12 coming across the country to play down there in Florida. Um I'm pretty high on Anthony Richardson. I, I liked what I saw from him in flashes last year. Uh, he had some injury issues last year, but, you know, I would hope he's not injured in week one. So I'm going to go with Florida here. Um, while they had all sorts of issues last year, and I'm not going to diminish all of those, but um, let's keep in mind that they do still have a, a pretty ridiculous amount of talent on that roster um, that clearly was not coached in the right direction. Um, under the previous regime, I think Napier and his staff, um, I, think, I don't think it'll take much for them to get some more out of that roster. And that combined with a night game in the swamp and, you know, Utah coming across the country. I just think Florida, I think Florida gets it done here. Um, SEC, man, it's hard to pick against them. While I understand what you're saying, Ed, I am so bought in on Utah. It's unreal. I'm literally wearing a Utah Beautiful Utah long sleeve t-shirt right now. The Rose Bowl logo, the old UU interlocked logo with the rose in it. Gorgeous, wonderful. They are wearing the throwback road uniforms, the all whites with the red and black stripes. Um, It's going to be a bloodbath. The game's not going to be close. Uh, They're going to ground and pound old school football. They're going to beat Florida into submission. It's going to be embarrassing. There are going to be boos. There's going to be messages for Billy Napier to be fired on Monday morning. It's going to be hilarious. You want to know the best part about this game? Robert, you were asking about how this game got to be. The University of Florida's athletic department is paying the University of Utah's athletic department half a million dollars for this game. They're paying them half a million dollars for Utah to go in there and run circles around them. It's going to be phenomenal. I love it so much. Uh, Just some stats for you on this one. And I think Utah, the way they're going to win the game is not by being the better athletes, it's by controlling the game. So last season, Florida is a pretty bad rush defense, 76 in the country and expected points added per rush. Not very good. They gave up a first down on 71.5% of first and second down. So what that means is when the other team had a first or second down, 
71.5% of the time, they gained a first down. They weren't getting teams even to third down. They could not have quality possession defensively. That was 102nd nationally. Meanwhile, if you look at Utah, what they did really well last year, even in games like the Oregon game, where they, the other teams had better athletes, the other teams had more speed, the other teams might have even been bigger up front. They controlled the game really well. Uh, one ratio or advanced metric that I really like is called the Echo Ratio, and it basically just measures your team's quality possessions divided by the quality possessions that you give up. Utah was 18th in the country in that category last year. Offensively, they were fifth in the country. They were really, really good at controlling pace of play. Cam Rising is really good at making plays while not turning the ball over. If Utah could not turn the ball over and give momentum to that crowd in Florida, I think this is an easy lock. Utah by a few touchdowns and the hype train keeps rolling in Salt Lake City. Follow that up, Chris. Hype me up. It's, it's, it's even easier for me because I couldn't disagree more, and I'm with Ed on this one. Give me the Gators. It's great to be a Florida Gator. Listen, you know how they say kind of, you know, going to Utah, obviously this pertains to BYU. You don't win, you know, road games in Provo. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that Mormons don't win in the swamp, and that's what this game is going to basically boil down to. So, It'll be 90 degrees, 80% humidity. I think it's supposed to rain. It will literally be a swamp for the Utah players. So that is just the setting of which this game is going to be played on. And so I'm hearing a lot of things right now, and I, I've read in a couple articles that, oh, Florida, excuse me, uh, uh, Utah's roster has five players that are from Florida. Congratulations, Utah. Last time I checked, even if they're from another state, the Florida roster has 100% of players who are used to now playing in Florida. And that is a key difference in this game. If you think about just the fact that it's going to be super humid, super hot. It's not going to be comfortable for the Utah players coming across country to be able to play a night game in Gainesville. So let's just take that as like a home field advantage that is definitively different than any other type of game that Utah has had to play on a road against any of these Mountain West and West Coast teams, especially in the Pac-12. Um, so then you look at season opening starters and just Utah's being comfortable on the road of just playing a season opener. Um, I did see that they were 13 and two, 15 uh, uh, season openers, but you know, all of those being under Whittingham, you know, other than Michigan, who have they really played in a season opener? Um, they haven't really played anybody specifically, nobody from the sec, especially in when this case is going to be a, a on the road, true road environment against an SEC type opponent. So uh, the last thing for me when I was looking at plus three, minus three uh, per teams, even just looking at the environments and the home field advantage factor, uh, S&P Plus has this game at a 29-29 score. They have it even. Um, so if I'm thinking that this is an even matchup and yet some of the differentiating factors are that, you know, Florida has what I would consider to be a significant home field advantage and a talent advantage, um, and let's just, you know, people talk about Billy Napier's kind of introduction and first few months at Florida, and they're talking about how much of a disaster it was. He had a couple awkward moments, but they're currently, I think, ranked 10th in recruiting. They have like 18 four-stars coming in. They're going to be rated probably in the top eight, maybe even close to the top five towards the end of this recruiting cycle. And that's year one. Like, they're off to a pretty good start, and they have a pretty good staff coming in. We all saw that photo of the Florida staff 
Um, I, I think there's more Florida staffers than there are population of the entire state of Utah. I mean, that might be an advantage. I don't know. We have to get into the numbers on that one. But um, to me, this was a pretty close uh, kind of marginal matchup here. But when I think about the fact that I'm getting the Gators plus three as a home dog, I give me an SEC team at night in, in a hostile home environment. So sorry, Sam. Um, it's okay. I'm, I'm not picking, I'm not picking as a USC guy. I'm picking as a completely unbiased observer of SEC versus Pac-12 talent. No, I, I understand what you're saying going cross country. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Utah's mortal rival BYU is also going to the state of Florida for their opener game. They play at South Florida in Tampa Bay. So uh, interesting that both of those schools decided equal. Be okay to go cross country there. <laughs> Unequal opponents, but yes, that is true. They're both playing. Last time that Utah played in Florida, not against any particular opponent, but just in the state of Florida, 1977. Wow. So let's just let's just say that they haven't played there too often. So this is pretty unfamiliar for them. Um, by the way, while we're on the topic, BYU minus 12 at South Florida is my mortal lockiest lock of locks. That is going to be a 35 point game in the third quarter. That that you can sell me up. Yep, that's a pretty easy one. All right. Well, let's get to it, guys. I'm currently sitting in wonderful, beautiful Norfolk, Virginia where the Hokies will open up the 2022 season and the Brent Pry era as eight and a half point favorites, eight and a half to seven and a half, depending on where you look, that line has been moving around. We talked about it last night. Um, it's been kind of jumping from seven and a half, eight and a half, basically just over a touchdown favorite against old dominion. The over under for this game, again, it's moving around a bit, but it's 49 to 50 points. It will be Friday night, 7 PM on ESPNU, Robert, here we go. Here we go. The Brent Pry era begins. Let me tell you, if that era begins with a loss or a one-possession win against Old Dominion, who may very well be the worst team in the Sun Belt, mm, that ain't a good way to start. And that is why I don't think that will happen. Um, again, the bet here is will Virginia Tech win and will they do it by – multiple possessions. And I think that's the case. Um, I really think that there's still a very strong talent disparity here between Virginia Tech and Old Dominion. And people are going to point to that 2018 game and say there was a pretty strong talent disparity then as well. But, you know, I mean, we'll see what it looks like on the field, but I do have reason to believe that this team that Virginia Tech is putting out there just seems to be a little more in sync. Uh, you know, they all seem to be on the same page. And ultimately, they just seem to be better coached. Again, we'll see what happens on the field. I think another point that people that I've heard brought up a lot is the fact that, you know, we're, we're seeing this duel between former Penn State coordinators, right? Where, you know, you have Brent Pry was the defense coordinator at Penn State and also Ricky Ronnie, the head coach of Old Dominion, was formerly the offensive coordinator at Penn State while Brent Pry was there. And they were even together back at Vanderbilt. So those two have a lot of history together. And so the idea is who, who will have the schematic advantage because both of these coordinators clearly know each other's tendencies and, you know, know how to, how to plan for each other. However, I just don't see how Ronnie can have the advantage here because if we're really thinking about it, the fact that one of those coordinators is the head coach of Virginia Tech and the other one is the head coach of Old Dominion shows you what you need to know 
uh, about the level of these two as they were coordinators. Brent Pry is the better schematic coach here. He will have the advantage in that department. And also, Tech will be more talented, so Brent Pry will have a little more leeway to do what he wants to do. ODU just announced that their backup running back is out for the game. They don't have an offensive coordinator or their offensive coordinator just left or whatever. Like, ODU is is struggling here, um, and they are not talented, and Virginia Tech will have the advantage. They will win this game pretty handily. Can we get a score prediction? 31-7, Hokies. Oh, seven. Wow. Okay. I like it. Juicy. Brett, how are you feeling? I mean, it's, it was, I wouldn't say it was easy pr- to predict the Fuente error, but it was easier just because we had previous, when we started this podcast, we had previous information to go off of. We have nothing now. And it's not like it's a similar type of offense or defense coming in here. I mean, it's going to be, everything's going to be completely different. So it's going to be hard to say. So I think I'm just going to be in track with Irby and saying, I think that Pry is going to have them prepared just for the sole fact that I don't think he wants to beat ODU by just a possession. I think he wants to beat them as badly as he possibly can. And I don't really think he cares if it ends up being a blowout, which I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think that Tech will win by multiple possessions. Um, I think it's going to be very vanilla, honestly. I Even though they're going to do what they can to make sure they win comfortably, but I Pry seems like the kind of coach that, you know, he's obviously he's been super open about people coming to practice stuff, but I feel like he's the kind of coach that definitely doesn't want to show too much when he doesn't have to. So I think that you're going to see a vanilla game, but I just think that even though tech's recruiting and people say, we don't have the athletes like they think we do. I think we have better athletes than ODU. I think they'll be in stride with JMU as the two worst teams in the Sun Belt this year. So uh, I'm going with tech and a multiple score victory. I like, um, probably like 35 14, somewhere in that range. So, kind of around where he was. I'm on the Hokies here, too. And I, I want to like to say that while we currently sit here and record, what is this, Wednesday night at 10 30, I was just watching um, ESPN and the ticker at the bottom powered by Caesars. So, well, I'm not sure how reliable that is, but it is powered by Caesars. Had the line down to seven. So, the line continues to move. Um, but again, not the most reliable of sports books, but we will we'll take that for what it's worth. Um, I'm on the Hokies here for all the reasons these two have already said, but I will add one more. Um, I'm really high on Grant Wells. I think Grant Wells is going to be really good for Virginia Tech for, you know, hopefully multiple seasons. Um, I, I've liked what I've seen from him in, in, you know, limited action in the spring game, watching his tape. I think a lot of his issues that people love to harp on with the interceptions are easily fixed. Um, Some simple stuff that I I hope, you know, a new quarterbacks coach and some better players around him will resolve. Um, I'm all in on Grant Wells. I think he ends up having a top five in the ACC type of year at the quarterback position, Um, which as a result, I think Virginia Tech will be able to easily cover the seven, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half, whatever it ends up being at kickoff. I like the Hokies. I think the defense will be too much for ODU. Um, Virginia Tech's top line talent is good enough to compete in this conference. The depth is obviously the biggest concern, but I think if the offensive line can keep Grant Wells on his feet, he'll be able to get the ball out quickly to his wide receivers in the flat and the tight ends. I think it's a big year for the tight ends. I know the boys on the main Suns pod have harped on that ad nauseum, but I think tight ends have a great year. 
A um, little concerned about the running back situation for Virginia Tech right now. Olsen's nicked up, I guess. Malachi Thomas is out. Um, but, I, again, I think there's too much talent. Brent Pry is going to have the boys ready to roll. He's going to want to make a statement in the 757 and lay the hammer down if he can. So, I think if Virginia Tech's having their way and it's not a close game, I think that'll be – I think Brent Pry will never take his foot off the gas in a game like this to the in-state team. So, I'm going to go with the Hokies here, kind of regardless of what the line ends up being. Real quick question. Are we 100% confident that Holston is is good to go, full participant in this game? I, I didn't Price, see that in the last press conference. Price said he's trending in the right direction. Okay. All right. I, again, like, I think if you get yeah, – yeah, they feel pretty confident, Keyshawn King, um, to at least take some snaps away from Holston if need be. I think you're going to see them pass the ball a lot more. Um than you think there's a lot of quick passing in the spring game a lot of yeah. quick passing and i think there's going to be a theme throughout the year all over the field and maybe if you don't have holston chance black gets to play and i think he's a guy who mm-hmm. gets the ball in the backfield and make things happen so i feel good about virginia tech regardless but yes holston is apparently trending in the right direction yeah and i think if he's healthy it's huge boost for the offense just have some experience out there on the field um i'm also excited to see uh Gosnell, wide receiver. He's a guy who didn't really participate too much in the spring because of injury. We hadn't heard too much about him, but he was decently highly recruited when he went to UNC, transferred to Virginia Tech. They seem to be high on him. Um, I'm I'm excited to see him just because we haven't. I agree 100% with you, Ed, about the tight ends versus the Old Dominion linebackers. Old Dominion is trying to replace their top defensive player, probably their top player overall, Jordan Young, led the team in tackles last year. Replacing him is going to be tough. And also something to keep in mind with ODU, they run a similar 4-2-5 defensive scheme to what Virginia Tech ran with Bud Foster. And the thing about that scheme, Hokie fans are very familiar, is where you can have a lot of speed on the defense, you lack a little bit of the size and the tackling ability in the trenches, Um, especially when you're going up against a, a spread offense that's going to widen the gaps on the offensive line take some safeties out to the boundary, and then you can now run up the middle. So I think Virginia Tech will have a few more big runs than maybe we've seen in the past. And I also, like, I'm so stoked for Grant Wells. I think he's going to be really, really good. Um, There might be some bumps in the road early on this season. I could definitely see this game being close in the first and second quarter. But at the end of the day, I think Virginia Tech pulls away. I think a big, big key for this game is going to be special teams, actually. That's a lot of times where you can have the biggest discrepancy in athlete is when you have the backups for Virginia Tech kind of playing against the backups for Old Dominion. I think in a really beautiful twist of irony, Virginia Tech has a huge play on special teams. It's a little bit of Beamer ball magic that separates the two teams probably early in the third quarter. And if I have to pick a score, I'm going to go 38 to 13. A 25-point win for a team that is trying to go back to the Beamer Ball era, the number 25. I think it's just going to be a little bit poetic there for the Hokies is what I'm thinking. I don't think you'll see this really offensive explosion. I think it'll be pretty controlled. Again, like Ed said, a lot of short passes running the ball. I think defensively they'll be good, not great. ODU will have some plays. ODU will have some moments. Hayden Wolf looked like a good quarterback when he got in last year. But again, this is a team that was six and six in Conference USA last year. This is a team that, you know, got routed by Tulsa in the bowl game. This is a team that 
lost their best player last year, the defensive uh, in linebacker Jordan Young. This is a team that, you know, they're on their third offensive coordinator in 18 months. <laughs> That's not good when you haven't had a head coaching change. They clearly aren't confident in what they're doing offensively. Also, it's not a, I don't, people are making a big deal playing at Old Dominion. At Old Dominion. The stadium hosts 23,000 people, okay? It's a big high school stadium in Texas. Half of the fans will be Virginia Tech alums anyways. It doesn't matter where this game is being played. Uh, I like the Hokies in this one. I'm still nervous as heck. Chris, are you as nervous as I am? Because I'm super nervous. I've been hurt before. I hate this game just for that last point you said alone, the fact that they have to play at this field within the Commonwealth, and it is degrees scale lower in terms of just what we should be doing as a Power 5 program in the ACC and where we're trying to aspire to get ourselves up to, and yet here we are playing at a regional uh, a lower scale school within our own state. You don't see that happen in a lot of other Power 5 programs, and that's what makes me nervous, but um, with that, and this will conjure up the 2018 vibe and feelings that Irby alluded to, what do you think on ESPNU will be the over-under of mentions and or video clips of the 2018, pro, uh, the 2018 upset? I said it at two and a half because I said there are three kind of individual segments per hour per game. So I'm thinking they would at least have mentioned it one per hour. So I said it at two and a half just to kind of bait you into possibly thinking they do it one per hour. But round robin, real quick, do you think they mentioned it above or below two and a half times in the span of this game of the 2018 upset? We'll go Sam first because you just spoke. Oh, man. I mean, Barstool is going to tweet it out five times. Barstool loves tweeting out clips where Tech is getting roasted. So yeah. I think they're going to tweet it out probably As five they or should. six times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as they said, Tech deserves it. I mean, that was – there was literally fighting happening at halftime in that right. locker room. That team deserved to get embarrassed, this, let's be honest. This, this is just the watching and the twisting of the knife. Real quick, Ed, above or below two and a half? Above. All right, Brett? Oh, definitely above. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Herbie, talk me off a ledge. Below. Below. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, Herbie. I don't have a like reason. A, like a comfortable blanket. Maybe, Appreciate well, it. it's, it's ESPN. <laughs> maybe they forgot about it. Yeah. No way. Uh so yeah, not only am I going to watch this game, but I'm going to be like on pins and needles hate watching this game because I'm only going to see those types of things. Even if we're doing well, it'll be one of those moments where we just score a touchdown and be like, oh, you know, back in 2018 and here, here's what happened. And, and it'll only just serve to Hokie Nation to hate you, to excuse me, to have them hate this game even more. Um, my biggest thing when I first started this line was it started at, I think, minus nine with mm -hmm. Tech on the road. Um, and if what Ed said is correct and it's going down to minus seven, what is going on with this line right now? Why is this action coming in on ODU? Because um, I can't find a reason because, you know, you, you boil down to all of the individual components of we haven't seen what the on-field product is like for this team. So the only thing I had to base my decision on was what is the level of talent currently at on this Virginia Tech football team compared to ODU? And the thing that I took away with was this isn't your prototypical year one coaching situation because so much talent opted to turn, you know, back in and opt for, you know, playing for 
Coach Pry. So we have a significant level, at least on the two deep, specifically amongst the starters, a significant level of returning talent, not just returning talent, but productive talent as well. So I alluded to it in the week zero podcast, but I'm kind of looking into the Action Network's use of the the metric TARP, which is transferring assets and returning production. To me, that says you are getting valuable assets that were productive from their prior teams coming to your team. And not only did that, do you have the returning production on your team as well? And they look at, you know, QB passing stats, rushing, receiving, uh, offensive line snaps, um, and on the defensive side, tackles, passes, defense, total pressure, and stops. So they're kind of looking at the holistic approach to it, and then they weight that accordingly. And Tech, even with the complete transition from the Fuente to Pry era, just based off of the roster, they're 12th in the power five in terms of TARP. So they have a talented roster. Granted, the whole narrative now is just how deep are they? Well, you know what? Against ODU in week one, I don't care how deep they are. It's ODU in week one. Depth doesn't matter in this game because I don't expect, and I'll knock on wood here, the entire roster get injured right in the middle of the game. Granted, that did happen in 2018. That's what. Before. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. Midway through the game, the entire starting offense that got is, hurt. That is, that is the thing that led into the anomaly of that game. Um, so I think that the benefit of having that level of returning production with the conglomeration of, you know, we have a staff now in place that's not just, you know, this power five coordinator or this prior coach came in and they hired a bunch of unknowns. These are proven coaches who have been positional power five coaches in previous instances. So this returning production from players has been coached all off season by proven power five coaching. So you just kind of add that all together. You know, to me, I'm agnostic right now of the scheme. I'm agnostic of what to expect because I really don't know what it's going to look like because I haven't seen it in a live game yet. But given those two factors against a seven and a half point spread, I have to believe that tech given everything compared to ODU, which we've already alluded to the fact that they don't have this, um, Seven and a half seems like a gift. Um, I I just, all things being equal, which in this case, they're not. This game should at least be tech favored by at least double digits. They're not. I'm getting value on minus seven and a half when it was formerly minus nine, almost double digits. In reality, I think the tech wins this game by at least 17 points. Uh, I'm not going to hit an exact score because I have no idea what a running back situation is. So I can't get a good gauge on what the consistent uh, run game is going to look like, but I think it's going to be a seven point differential. Whether or not you think that's what exact 17, 34, 17, or anything plus or minus less than that, but I do think that we are nearly three touchdowns better than ODU. I, I feel pretty confident in that actually. So, uh, the last so. instance, the last instance, and this is the final takeaway, is going to be intensity. The one narrative coming out of the team the entire time is from Coach Pry, you know, agnostic of is oh, I don't know if we have the depth, we don't have the starting, and excuse me, the depth here, we don't have the depth there. It's, it's always been, we're going to be intense. And I just don't think that ODU is going to be ready for that level of intensity that's going to come their way. So um, put that all in there. I, I, think, I, I think Tech wins pretty comfortably. So Let's hope so. I will be cheering as loud as I can. Uh, if you, any other Hokies, that will be in Norfolk for the game, hit me up on Twitter and I'll, I'll see if I can stop by your tailgate, stop by in the stadium and see you say hi. 
All right, we are going to go to some new segments that we have. Each one of us has a themed bet for this year. It's a little fun, a little quirky, and we love it. Just a way for us to share you some games that might not be on your radar that are on our radar. So, Robert, start us off. Robert's free money bet of the week. This is a lock bet that Robert loves that you can take to the bank. Robert, what is your free money bet of the week? Yes, and a little background for those uh, who maybe are newer to the podcast. There have been countless times, five, uh, that I have declared a bet to be free money and it has lost every single time. So I am trying to break that bad mojo by giving you a free money bet every week. And at some point, one of these will hit. And so this week, the play I like is I'm targeting a game where I feel like the sports books are just really off. Um, and that is the Houston UTSA game. Um, I love a nice little same game parlay here of taking Houston to cover minus four and also the game to go over 62. Um, last year, these two teams had two of the most potent offenses in the country. They combined to average 73 points a game. That's 11 points more than the over under total right now. Um, I mean, this is Dana Holgerson and Jeff trailer. We're talking about here. Defense is not in their vocabulary. And I think Houston is the better team overall. I think they win this by a touchdown at least. Um, if you look at CFB graphs, a shout out to uh, Parker at Stats War on Twitter. Um, he projects this game to be Houston winning by about eight with a total of 70. I like those numbers. Um, yeah, do that little same game parlay here. When I plug that in, it's plus 256. So that's a pretty nice little chunk of change here. And I think both of those picks are locks. At Stats of War on Twitter, maybe one of the best if you want to get into um, advanced analytics in college football, does a great job of explaining, has great videos, great graphics, all of that. Brett, the peanut man himself with maybe one of the best pictures I have ever seen that will go up on our Twitter later tonight. The nutty pick of the week. This is a pick that's just a little bit out there, a little bit weird, but we still love it. Brett, what is your nutty pick of the week? This is just an absolutely, yeah, this pick makes me sick when I'm looking at it, but it is Duke Temple under 51 points. And I thought the Kansas game was going to be ugly with Duke, but I actually think the Temple game might be even worse. Duke, as we know, not a very good football team, but I didn't realize how bad they were until I went and dove it in from last year. They were last, literally last in the country in total defense last year. Out of 130 FBS teams, they were last. Temple, they were like the bottom at 10 teams in total offense. And does anybody know who Temple's quarterback is? Quincy Patterson. Nope. It's not. Is he not starting? <laughs> no, no. Similar court. Well, actually, I don't think he is, but similar quarterback who's probably going to get the start, similar style. Dwayne Mathis. Does anybody remember that name? Uh, from, that's shocking. From from University of Georgia, actually, crazy story. I mean, he actually when he got to Georgia, he had that brain he had that brain surgery, so he kind of got put a setback there. But then Stetson Bennett beat him out in the twenty twenty season, so he left and transferred to Temple. All we really can do is run the ball, and Temple's brand new coach Stan Drayton, who was the assistant head coach of Texas last year, was the running backs coach, and he has been the running backs coach his whole life. So you can imagine what Temple is going to do. The whole game, run the football with Wayne Mathis and their current running back. Who I don't even know. I just, I, I'm just 
<laughs> I just cannot believe I'm betting this game. Um, and then, as we know, Duke with Mike Elko, we don't, their defense will be better, but still not great. Obviously, they have a lot to work on. And their offense, nobody knows what that's going to look like either. You have two brand-new coaches, first game of the year, with a total at 51. So you're banking on one of the teams probably to score 30 points. I don't even see that happening. I'm seeing like a 21 to three game here. Like it's just, it's just going to be absolutely disgusting. And I don't even know if I'm going to watch any of it, but I just like under 51. I'm looking at the stats from these teams from last year. I'm just like, I have to, yeah, I have to ride it out. So going with the uh, under 51 temple Duke. Ed, it is your turn in Ed's Southern deep fried game of the week. This is a game below the Mason Dixon line that you need to pay attention to. Good down home football, Ed. Your Southern deep fried game of the week. Well, there's just absolutely no nobody more Southern in college football than Brian Kelly. So you know I had to get LSU involved in this one. Florida State versus LSU. I'm going with Brian Kelly and LSU. Uh, I did not think Florida State was – I mean, they were somewhat impressive, but, you know, you can't really take much out of a game like when they played last week. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, the, the jokes wrote themselves with this one. There's nobody more Southern than Brian Kelly. He absolutely had to be involved in this Southern deep-fried game of the week. So I'm going to go with LSU. I do think that they have a coaching advantage, certainly. Um, obviously, similar to some of the teams we've talked about already tonight, you know, like Florida, you know, down year last year, but there's still a ton of talent in the LSU football program that I think Brian Kelly will be able to get enough out of them to win this game against Florida State, who is a team that I'm just not going to believe in until I have an absolute reason that I have to. So I'm going with Brian Kelly and LSU in the Southern Deep Fried Game of the Week. Chris. Our, our formal, former former shipmate, Chris, <laughs> the captain's yeah. choice. You, you're never a captain, so, were you? Not nearly a, like even close to being close to a captain, but I'll think of myself as one for the we'll point. We'll call you captain, so, Chris. Yeah, yeah I, I like it. So captain's choice of the week. Um, to me, th- this is going to be a play on words every week. I'm going to try and find my best matchup. So to me, captain's choice of the week is on the ECU Pirates telling our listeners to live like a captain this week and take the ECU Pirates plus 11 and a half. It's actually been bet down from plus 12 from where it started. Listen, Irby on the Slack thread stated earlier this week. I love it. I was already kind of focusing on it. The Wolfpack have lost three of the last four games straight up at ECU. So I already love where we're starting with that one. ECU has a boatload. You see what I did there? return level of returning production against the quote unquote veteran NC state roster. So you don't necessarily get a discount in terms of NC state has a lot of veteran starting talent. ECU does not, that's not the case. ECU does. Uh, It's going to be a muggy noon kickoff in Greenville, uh, North Carolina there. So it's going to be something where there's going to just going to be probably a a level of apathy on the NC state roster. Um, And just the ECU home field advantage there. It's going to be a crowd that smells like, body odor old spice and stale liquor nothing better fitting for a pirate mascot fan base there um and just nothing would be more on brand than a top 15 preseason hype nc state team than possibly not only maybe losing a game but at least playing close against an ecu uh double digit underdog on the road so give me the pirates plus 11 and a half captain's call of the week all right i love that chris we're gonna end it off with the graveyard shift pick of the week this is a game 
that you need to stay up late for, and I can't think of a better one this week than Texas Christian minus 13 and a half at Colorado. Sonny Dykes taking over for the TCU program. They're going to be a high-powered throwing offense, and I don't think the Colorado defense is really up to snuff. They've struggled the last few years. I think they're going to struggle again this year. I just don't think they'll score enough points to hang with TCU. So I like the Horn Frogs in that one. And as a little bonus, since last one, I also like over 56 and a half in Boise State, Oregon State. That should be a good game. Two teams that I think could sneakily be in the top 25 this year. That's going to do it all for week one of the Locks of Saturday. So happy to be back. So happy for football season. Irby, sign us off. Go Hokies. Won't let